Nestled in the quaint historic district of Anaheim sits a majestic home originally constructed for a member of the Rimpaw family, one of Anaheim's earliest families. Designed in 1915 by architect Charles Trudeau, the home was a wedding gift from Theodore Robert Rimpaw to his new bride, Enid. Their love story has been shrouded in just about as much mystery as the tragic events that took place in the home itself. Robert, as he was best known, was born on October 11, 1882, to parents Adolf Rimpa and Natalia Carrillo. His legal name was Theodore Robert Rimpa, no doubt named after his paternal grandfather, an Anaheim pioneer. Enid Williams was born in Pueblo, Colorado, sometime in February of 1892, to parents William S. Williams and Catherine Ferguson. Enid's father was originally from Boston, Massachusetts, while her mother was a native of Ohio. Some point after the turn of the 20th century, the Williams family moved to California, settling in Los Angeles. Enid's mother, Catherine, eventually separated from her husband after the move to California. The 1910 census shows that Catherine and Enid were listed as one household. Enid, who was barely 18 years of age, was listed as single, while her mother was listed as a widow. Why Catherine listed herself as a widow, we will never know for certain. More than likely, Catherine did not want to explain why she was still married but living alone, given the time period. Although the census did not show Enid as having any occupation, her mother was listed as a promoter for a mining company. It appears that Enid wouldn't stay with her mother for very long, as records indicate that she married Charles Stone of Glendale at the courthouse in Santa Ana on September 21, 1910. Some newspapers of the time state that the couple lived in Long Beach during their marriage. Within a year, Enid could see that she had made a huge mistake. Charles's intemperate habits were cause enough for Enid to file for divorce in 1913 when she finally left. Enid wanted a fresh start, as far away from Charles as she could travel. Given the fact that she watched her own mother show strength and independence by leaving her own husband during the early part of the 20th century must have given Enid the gumption to venture out into the world on her own, knowing she could do it too. But where would young Enid go? On July 31, 1914, Enid's divorce decree was finalized and she became a free woman again. The small, newly settled town of Anaheim, famous for their citrus trees and walnuts, seemed to be just what Enid needed to start over. Once she settled in, she took on two jobs to support herself. First, she worked at Weber's bookstore and then also at the millinery store, which designed hats. It is unknown when exactly she met Robert Rimpaw but I assume she must have crossed his path at some point during a visit to Miles' grocery store where he worked as the head clerk. Enid was thought of as attractive, 
with a sunny disposition and pleasing manners, and one who easily became friends with anyone that she met. It didn't take long before Robert wished to court Enid and propose marriage. As a gift to his future bride, Robert Rimpaw hired architect Charles Trudeau to design one of the finest dwellings in Anaheim, according to an archive newspaper clipping provided to me by longtime Anaheim resident and history enthusiast John Marshall. The house, located at 503 North Zion Street, reportedly cost Robert Rimpaw $3,000 to construct. The pair were married on July 5, 1915, in Anaheim, and moved into their beautiful new home shortly thereafter. Its grand decor and impeccable design was built to please Enid, from the exquisitely constructed staircase and ornate light fixtures in the entryway to the built-in bookcases and romantic fireplace in the sitting room. Every detail showed that Robert Rimpaw spared no expense to make his new bride happy. A shocking event took place on Sunday, October 17, 1915. Enid and Robert Rimpaw attended Mass at St. Boniface Church, where they then departed separately after the services. Robert claimed he had some errands to run, so Enid went home by herself. After returning home within an hour, Robert stated that he came to find his wife dying from poison. He called several doctors to the home, and the first to arrive was Dr. Trexaw. The doctor believed she was already too far gone from cyanide poisoning, and there was nothing that he could do to reverse the effects. And so, Enid passed away. Dr. Trexaw ascertained that the vial used to poison Enid was still quite full, enough to kill several more people. According to the Santa Ana Register, Enid was found in an upstairs bedroom along with a suicide note that read, I am a failure. God forgive me and bless you. There was no official inquest done on her death, Therefore, no one ever verified as to whether or not the alleged suicide note was even written in Enid's own hand. The newspapers reported her death according to Coroner Winbigler's statement, ruling it a suicide without allowing a proper investigation into her death and virtually smearing her name as having gone temporarily insane. The Santa Ana Register stated that for several weeks Enid had shown signs of despondency and melancholia leading up to her death. The Anaheim Gazette also claimed that Enid's friends stated that at times she had been morbid and melancholy without any known cause, consequently it is supposed she was mentally unbalanced. Interestingly though, the same article then goes on to say, friends with whom she lived declared she was always even-tempered, independent, and self-reliant, and never showed any signs of a diseased mind. It also stated, Friends who saw her in the store Saturday night observed no difference in her demeanor, and many who talked to her after the Sunday morning service declared that she was in her usual spirits at the time. Enid was a very independent woman, 
and even after marrying Robert, she still worked at Weber's bookstore. Yes, she had made remarks that she was alone a lot, and that she would rather be working than be alone at the house, meaning that her husband was not spending much time with her. Still, that did not necessarily mean she was suicidal. It just meant she was lonely, at home, and perhaps she missed her husband. An insurance man by the name Al Nawatney came forward claiming that just days before Enid died, she had asked him if a life insurance policy would pay out in the event of a suicide. He explained that it would not pay out unless an entire year had lapsed. If such a conversation had taken place, why would she have decided to go through with the act of killing herself, especially if more than likely any insurance policy she may have had might not have been covering her suicide? There was never any mention as to whether or not Enid even had a life insurance policy to begin with. This tidbit of information published in the newspaper seemed even more strange. After Enid died, her body was taken to Bax and Terry's undertaking to be prepared for burial. Her body was brought over to her father-in-law's home at 412 East Center Street for viewing. Oddly enough, during my research, I realized that the very spot in which her father-in-law's property once sat was actually where I had lived in the early 2000s. It's very interesting to note how history and the present, at times, intersect. Going back to the story, on Tuesday, October 19, 1915, Enid's funeral took place at St. Boniface Church and the eulogy was given by Father Dubell, the same person who officiated over her wedding just three months earlier. The Knights of Columbus were in attendance and acted as pallbearers. After the services, Enid was laid to rest in a crypt inside the Anaheim Mausoleum at the Anaheim Cemetery on Sycamore Street. Enid is not interred in the Rimpaw family crypt, as most would assume. The Rimpaw family crypt is a private crypt on the grounds of the cemetery, and oddly enough within walking distance of my grandparents' graves in the pioneer section of the cemetery. The community mausoleum where Enid is interred is the oldest public mausoleum in the state of California, and is located at the other end of the cemetery. If you visit Enid's wall crypt, you will find the marker on it has the wrong year of birth. You see, Enid lied when she married Robert. She was not 22 years old, but in fact, she was 23. When Enid married Charles Stone, she claimed to be 19, although she was really 18. The census records from 1900 and 1910 verify that she was born February of 1892. Therefore, when she died, her age was in fact 23 years and 8 months. So the question remains, how did Enid meet her demise? Yes, we could believe that she was just so miserable in her life that the only way she could escape was to end it. Unfortunately, I have always had a hard time believing this. Her very character, 
which was long since established in the community, along with her past actions in life, prove she was not a quitter. She left an abusive husband and started a new life on her own. She worked two jobs to support herself and yet always kept a kind and humble demeanor, making friends with just about everyone she met. Does that really sound like someone who would just give up? If she was so unhappy with her marriage, what was stopping her from leaving him? Considering the theory that Enid didn't kill herself, then who poisoned her? I have often wondered what the Rimpa family thought of Enid. Could it have been someone within the Rimpa family who may not have approved of Robert marrying a divorcee? Maybe it was even her own husband, Robert. Another thought, possibly it wasn't the Rimpas at all, but perhaps her ex-husband Charles who may have caused her death. Had someone actually poisoned her, then how was it done? Was she forced to swallow cyanide, or did she drink unknowingly, such as from a glass laced with poison? If she was poisoned that way, the killer would have probably taken the small vial of poison and conveniently placed it near her along with the suicide note to make the scene believable as to not draw suspicion. If Enid was truly suicidal, wouldn't she have downed the entire vial to guarantee her death was sure and fast? But instead she lingered and died in a most horrible way. Another possibility is that when attempting to commit suicide, after tasting the foul poison on her palate, she found she could not compel herself to drink any more, leaving the vial still quite full, but having ingested enough to be a fatal dose. I have come to the conclusion that there is no way to know for certain what exactly happened that day in 1915. Enid took those answers with her to the grave. Over the years, the ghost stories associated with the house on Zion Street have made their rounds throughout Anaheim. And with the help of the internet, it has spread over the globe. Every year around Halloween, people bring up the story and the accounts that Enid's ghost wanders Zion Street at night or roams the halls of her old home. In recent years, the idea that Enid's ghost haunts the mausoleum at the cemetery has popped up and piqued the interest of paranormal investigators. Somehow, some of these investigators had gained access to the inside of the locked mausoleum in order to perform their paranormal experiments in order to communicate with Enid. Still, there have never been any reports of Enid haunting the cemetery at all. That, in itself, is an entirely new piece of lore that has been recently added by local writers. Logically, if you think about it, whether you believe in ghosts or spirits or not at all, how could you know who is haunting a cemetery specifically when there are thousands of people buried there to begin with? It would be presumptuous to believe that any sort of paranormal encounter they may claim to have had at the cemetery was Enid, as again, there is no way to identify her. Personally, 
I feel that Enid's final resting place should be respected and left alone, out of respect for her memory. I remember seeing the house on Zion Street many times while riding in the back seat of my mother's Oldsmobile while I was just a child. Even just in a passing glance on a trip to the park, the house seemed to lure me in, though I never knew there was a story to discover hidden behind its very walls. It wasn't until I was an adult and a mother myself that I noticed the house again on a trip with my children to Pearson Park. I again felt that yearning to explore the home. That was when I asked my grandfather, who happened to be a former president of the Anaheim Historical Society, and he directed me to the Anaheim Library to do some investigating. It was there that I satisfied my curiosity and unraveled a mystery. I fell in love with the home, just the same as the current owner's who so lovingly have restored it back to its grandeur. There is a certain air of mystery and familiarity that has always drawn me to the Rimpa home. Enid's death was my very first in-depth historical investigation, which spiraled me into the world of historical investigative writing that I'm known for today. In many ways, Enid is responsible for pushing me in that very direction. Although she never knew that her life or her tragic death would in turn change someone else's life so many years later. The desire that ignited inside of me and the drive that fueled my tenacity to research all started as one tiny spark that lit into a flame. That spark started when I became enamored by the home at 503 North Science Street and grew as I learned of the tragedy of Enid Rimpa's mysterious death on October 17, 1915. With that in mind, I felt that it was only right that Enid's story be my very first podcast so that she no longer remains one of the forgotten. <laughs>